Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. We're going to talk today about obedience to the Father, sacrifice and resurrection, the Lamb of God, the Son of Promise, and God's plan of salvation to the nations. So, Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. <laughs> That's not a joke. I know, I know. You're, what? Genesis for an Easter message? This guy's crazy. <laughs> All right. See, that's the thing. 2,000 years before Jesus goes to the cross. Oh, sorry. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some guys here. We've got Jack. We've got Antonio walking around with Bibles. Just put up your hand. Um, you could turn uh, in your Bible to Genesis chapter 22 because 2,000 years before Jesus went to the cross on Calvary, God will use another father and son to paint a picture of what was to come. And that father and son were Abraham and Isaac. Now, really quick, in case you're new to the Bible, Abraham was a man that God called out of a pagan land and a pagan lifestyle to follow him into a land that he did not know, but God said, I'm going to do something amazing through you and through your descendants. And Abraham believed God and went into this unknown land. Now, part of that promise that God gave to Abraham was he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and through you and through your son, uh, a great many descendants will come. In fact, I'm going to create a people through you and through your son of promise. Uh, Well, after many years of no son, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, decided that maybe they could make it happen on their own. Maybe that was what they were supposed to do. Maybe it meant that they were supposed to do it. Um, And so Sarah uh, came to Abraham because, well, by the way, they were very old well advanced in years. And I'm not talking 70 like David. I'm talking like like 90. <laughs> and Sarah came and she said, Abraham, you know what? Why don't you, why don't you lie with my maidservant, Hagar? And uh, I, I almost feel like when I read this, that, that Solomon, I mean, that Abraham agreed almost before she was done saying it because he just seemed very anxious to be like, okay. So he, he went in and he, he lay with Hagar and they actually did produce his son Ishmael. Now, when Ishmael was born, at one point, Abraham brings Ishmael to God and he says, God, can't you just bless this son, this son that I've had, Ishmael? And God says, no, Abraham. Ishmael is not my son of promise. He is your fleshly attempt to fulfill what I said I would do. Oh, man, you know what? I, when I was kind of just talking through that this week, God was like, you know, you guys are still doing this. Don't we sometimes take uh, an, a thought, an idea, even a promise that God has given us, and we fulfill it in our own flesh, and then we bring it before God, and we say, God, can't you just bless this thing that I've created? Can't, you just, can't it just be good enough And God is like, but it's not what I promised I would do. And he says this to Ishmael. Now, eventually, uh, he says it to Abraham of Ishmael. 
Now, a little bit further down the line, God tells Abraham to go ahead and put Ishmael and Hagar out of his camp to send them away. Because as we're going to see that God does not consider Ishmael Abraham's son. Now, I want you to understand, it isn't that Abraham, uh, isn't that God doesn't recognize Ishmael as a person, but he doesn't recognize him as his fulfilled promise to Abraham. And so he sends Ishmael and Hagar out, but he doesn't send them out to die. He provides for them. If you read the story in Genesis chapter 21, you can see that God actually provides water and shelter for them and then says to her, I'm going to make a great people, a a whole bunch of people are going to come out of this son of yours, Ishmael, as well. But to Abraham, he says, uh, Ishmael is not my son of promise. There is one that I'm promising you who will come and through him, a great people will come. He will be the son of promise. So that's where we're going to pick up. See, that starts in Genesis chapter 22. So as we walk through this story together, I'm going to connect some dots between this story of Abraham and Isaac and the story of Easter Sunday the very thing that Abraham will see looked forward to is the same thing that we get to look back at, which is the cross of Jesus Christ, which is what we look at on Easter Sunday. It's all going to make sense at the end, I promise. So Genesis chapter 22. Let's see. I'm going I'm to turn there now. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are gathered here today because we are celebrating your resurrection, your plan of salvation, Lord. And we thank you. And Lord, we thank you by coming here to worship. And we do that through song. We do that through Bible study. We do that through prayer and fellowship with one another. Lord, we are here to worship. I pray that you would take this time now, Lord, uh, that your Holy Spirit would descend on all of us here in this room. Lord, if you want to shake the walls and raise the roof, that would be totally cool with me. But I pray that you bless this time, that you take these words, Lord, and that you create something that will pierce our hearts. Lord, thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, first thing I want to point out to you right away, because you have to know this, is this God is testing Abraham, but it doesn't say that God is tempting Abraham. Those are completely different words. And God, the Bible says, doesn't tempt us, okay? Temptation is unto sin. The devil will try and tempt you into doing something that you're not supposed to do. And God's not going to tempt us to do something we're not supposed to do. But he does occasionally test us. Why does he do that? Why does God test us? Well, let me give you an example. Say you were building a boat and got it all done and it's all sealed up. And, and, and what would you do before you hopped into that boat and sailed out into the Gulf? You might put it in the water to see and test it out and say, I'm just going to test it and see if it leaks, see if it's watertight. And you put it in the water, and what happens? You see one of the seams wasn't sealed up right, and water starts coming in. So you've tested it, and you've realized there's a weakness here that has to be addressed. So what do you do? Do you hop in the boat and say, I'm sure it's just going to take care of itself, and everything will be fine, and off you sail out into the Gulf. 
You'd be crazy to do that. What you do is you take the boat and you address what's ever been revealed through the test. Many times God does work the same way in our lives where he will test us to reveal to us a place of weakness that has to be worked on. A lot of times, many times I will say to my own children, when you take a test in school, for example, it's not so I can know how much you know, it's so you can know what you haven't learned yet so you can work on that. And oftentimes God will test us, not so that he knows, but so that we, it will be revealed to us a place in our life that maybe needs to be addressed. Ever happened to you? Or is that just me and Jan? Thanks. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes God will test us to remind us of the faith that we already have that maybe we've forgotten about, right? Sometimes, and I think that's the case with Abraham, because it's, you know, by the time he speaks to him right here, it's been a number of years that since God, uh, Abraham has heard from God, and I believe that God is going to test him to reveal a faith that is inside of Abraham that maybe he's not remembering too much. And so God will sometimes cause uh, a test to come into your life to show you that you have a strength that you didn't even know you had or you had completely forgotten about. So when you find yourself in a time of testing, maybe look and say, is something being revealed to me that I should be addressing? Or is there something that God wants to remind me that I am actually stronger than I thought? Maybe it's both. <laughs> this is what he says. He says uh, to Abraham, he calls out, and Abraham says, here I am. You know, I do love the response, here I am. You know what, that, what he didn't say? What? <laughs> <laughs> when God calls you and you're like, what, God? <laughs> One of the things that we taught our children a long time ago uh, is that when we call out to Joanna and we say, Joanna, she doesn't say what? She says, coming, because it's not a question really. It's a call to come. All right, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so when we say, Joanna, she says, coming, and she comes because she knows that we're calling out to her for a specific reason. It isn't a, an opportunity for her to be like, what do you want? Because the answer is, I want you to come here right now. And that's, and God calls out to Abraham and his response is, here I am. Meaning, I heard you, I'm coming, I'm available. Right? So when you hear God say, hey, Steve, here I am, Lord. Here I am. It's not a, what? <laughs> so he says, and I mean, oh boy. This isn't, this isn't God calling out to Abraham and saying, could you empty the dishwasher? You know, this is... This is some serious stuff going on. He says, then he says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So there's some stuff here. Like, again, I'm going to connect dots for you, okay? This is a story that is a perfect, wonderful, parallel picture of what God the Father called his son to do. So we've got Isaac and, and Abraham, son and father, Abraham and Isaac, God the Father and Jesus. And I want you to, we're going to track along. So God calls out to Abraham and says, I want you to take your only son, 
realize here that he's not recognizing the fulfillment of his promise through Abraham's flesh, but only his son of promise, the one who was told would come, who did come exactly as he said. We talk, and, and we, you know, every time I read your only son, I'm reminded that Jesus is the only begotten son of the father. That's how it's referred to. And he was the one that was promised to come. Jesus and Isaac were both sons of promise, whereas Isaac was the son of promise to Abraham through which God would bring a mighty and great people from him. Jesus was the son of promise who would bring a great and mighty people through him to him. Amen? He says, bring your only son whom you love... And go to this land of Moriah. And right now he's dwelling in the land of Beersheba. So it's a little ways off. We're going to see it's a couple of days walk for them to get to the land of Moriah. <clears throat> he is calling him, by the way, to not just take his son to like the temple uh, or to offer him in service to the Lord, but he's saying, bring your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to offer him, offer him as a burnt offering. That means you're going to have to kill him, cut him apart, and burn him with fire on the altar. That means consecrate him completely to me as an offering. So, it says in verse 2 that Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and, and arose and went to the place which God told him to go. Now here's the thing. Abraham it gets a message from God. God says, I want you to take your only son, the one you love, and I want you to take him to a place that I'm going to tell you and I want you to offer him. I want you to kill him for my sake at a place that I, and, and Abraham gets up the next morning early and goes, no hesitation, early. If that were me, man, I'd have every excuse possible why I couldn't go right at that moment. It's like, God, I don't know, tomorrow's not good for me to sacrifice my son. <laughs> you know, if we could maybe, maybe later in the day or a, a week from Thursday would be, you know, better. This is Abraham rose early. Like, how could he do that? How could Abraham raise up early and take his only son that he has, the son of promise, the, the son that he waited for, for years and years and years to arrive? How could he do it? He trusted God's word. I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, this is chapter 11 in Hebrews is the faith chapter. It's amazing. This is what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise of off, uh, promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so it says in Hebrews that Abraham at this time, when God said to him, I want you to take your son to a place that I'll tell you what, I want you to offer him up as an offering to me. Abraham got up and did it without hesitation because he believed that God had said through this son, a mighty nation will come. And Abraham understood that if that was going to happen, even if he killed his son, God would raise him up after that. And so there was no fear or hesitation. Now, I don't believe he did it joyfully 
because he's a human being. And even though I know and I read God's word, there are still some things that give me sorrow in my heart to, take, to, to do. But all of that, he did it without hesitation because he trusted in God, what God had said in God's word. And, and I want to point out to you that God had said, um, and he believed that God said that he would raise him up, even from a burnt offering, by the way. So even from a pile of ashes, he believed that God could raise his son, if necessary, that he could do it that he could raise him up. I mean, you know, there are, I, there are people that do believe, and, 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 and I heard this a lot when I was a kid, that if as a Christian you are um, uh, cremated, that, that you shouldn't do that because how would God raise up your body? And I'm thinking, really? God created us from nothing. He can't raise up my body from ashes in the last day? Of course he can. And Abraham believed it too. Because he was thinking, even from a pile of ashes from my son who might be burnt up, God will raise him up. And I trust that to be true. And so he goes with his son early. He rose early and took him there. And then it says in verse 4, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, I'm not a numbers guy. (laughs) I can't help to realize here and to see that it says that it was on the third day that he looked up and saw the place. Now, what you have to understand is this is the day that he will take his son up and put him on the altar. And in his mind, his son died three days ago. His son died the day that he said, yes, Lord, I will do it. In his heart, Isaac was dead. This is the day. Now, not right at this moment that he lift his eyes up and see it, but on this day, on the third day, it, will, it says in Hebrews that he was returned to him. He was resurrected from the dead. He received him back from the dead. Figuratively, because he doesn't end up killing him. Oh, sorry, was that a spoiler? <laughs> Just as we celebrate today that our son of promise, who was sacrificed for our sake, rose from the dead, resurrected today, the third day. What a cool picture. God is so good at this. So he says in verse five, and Abraham said to the young men, stay here with with the donkey, The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Okay, a couple of things. This is what happens right here. He says to, um, sorry, I saw the, the ambulance. That just threw me off a little bit. Can we just pray for a minute? Heavenly Father, I, 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 just, I don't know what's going on right now, but I know that you are completely aware of this situation. And Lord, um, whoever is requiring this ambulance right now, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be on them, Lord, that you would just heal and take care of and just be present in this moment. Lord, that you would keep everybody calm. Lord God, I just pray right now over all of these folks and over everyone who is involved in this situation right now, Lord, please be present. We put this all in your hands right now. Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, see how fast God answers prayer? (laughs) All right. 
So I need to tell you something right here in verse five. The word, this gives you a little understanding of, of, uh, of Isaac. I mean, maybe you don't know the story very well, or maybe all you know about Abraham and Isaac and this particular story is the Renaissance painting that you've seen where uh, Abraham is holding down this 10-year-old boy and he's got his knife poised at the top. But see, that's just not accurate. The fact is that Isaac wasn't a 10-year-old boy. In fact, Isaac was anywhere between 20 years old and 37 years old. Actually, the Jewish tradition says he was 37. I'm not really sure where they based that. I couldn't find it exactly. But the understanding is that he's between 20 and 37. You know how old I think he was? 33 years old. You know why I think that? Because God lines up so many things with the story of Jesus Christ in this story that why wouldn't he have been 33 years old? Why would you think God would be like, oh man, I totally missed that one. What if I had made, if I had made Isaac 33 and Jesus 33, that would have been so good. But why isn't, why can't it be that? If, if, if the range is between 20 and 37, why wouldn't he be 33 years old? It just works out so perfectly. So I'm just going to assume he was 33 years old. Part of the reason we know he wasn't a boy because the word lad, the lad and I, means young man. It means young man. It's the same word as he used when he said he took a couple of young men with him to help him out. It's the same word. It means young man. Young man, 33 years old, very young. Very young. <laughs> he also says, look at this in verse 5. He says, we will go wander yonder and worship and we will come back to you. He says, look, uh, he doesn't say, look, we're going to go up there and then I'll be back in like an hour. He says, we're going to go up and worship and we fully believing that he and Isaac will be coming back to these guys. He is totally embracing the truth that God says that this is the son of promise whom this people will come through. And so he's like, all right, I have to go through this very unpleasant experience, but I know that God will raise my son from the dead, Right? And I often think that, you know, when we see Jesus, he's in the garden and he's praying. Two times in Matthew, we see him praying, saying, Lord, Father, he says, Father, if this cup could pass for, from me, if it could be any other way, but your will be done. Two times he goes, and Jesus, I believe, is like, this is going to be a really bad time for me. We know there's going to be pain. We know there's going to be suffering. We know that ultimately he's going to suffer through a separation from the father for a few hours that day. But he says, but the outcome is so worth it that I'm willing to do it. Abraham, I got to believe is thinking the same thing, that this will be horrible. And I can't believe I have to do this, but I trust God. And the outcome of what will come of this is going to be so amazing and so worth it. So you understand now, 33-year-old Isaac walking along with his father. Now, that's important because you understand that a 33-year-old man is probably going to be able to resist a 133-year-old father if there was something that he didn't want to do, right? Just hold that thought. Come back to that. Now it says, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Come on. He took the, one of the instruments of the execution, one of the instruments of sacrifice, the wood, and he laid it on the shoulders of his son, Isaac. 
Now, you know from the Easter story that that exact thing happened when Jesus, who is our son of promise, represented by Isaac, is going to the, the cross. He's walking that path up to Golgotha. He had to carry his own cross. The wood, the instrument of his own execution was laid upon his back, just as we see Isaac doing here. So it says, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. Okay. (laughs) Again, you read what Jesus was doing the, the, the night that he was arrested. What was he doing? He was with his father in the garden, praying to his father. They were together. When Jesus walks the road to Golgotha, the father is with him. The father is only not with him for one three-hour period during during his whole life. One time, he is with him. The two of them went together. But Isaac, it says, he spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So Isaac, he's sharp. You know, he's like, I got the wood, and you've got the fire, and I see there's a knife right there. I don't see a lamb anyplace. Maybe you didn't know this, but this is the first time in the Old Testament that the word lamb is used. That's 22 chapters in. 22 chapters it took before God. Now, he's already talked about offerings and altars, but he's never mentioned the word lamb before. It's the first time that he mentions the word lamb. Okay, now this is really going to blow you away. The word lamb in the New Testament, the first time it's used, is in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. The first time the word lamb is used in the New Testament is in the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four books in. Four books in. Now, this is where it really gets crazy, right? The question that Isaac is saying is, where's the lamb? Where's the one that will be sacrificed, offered? Old Testament. The New Testament reference in John 1, 29 is when John the Baptist is at the Jordan River and he looks up and he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isaac in the Old Testament says, where's the lamb? God answers in the New Testament by saying, there he is. It's Jesus, my son. Where's the lamb that's going to be offered? God answers it. Now, it takes a long time for God to answer that question. But, you know, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So God blinks his eyes. He's like, oh, yeah, it's Jesus. But it's like 2,000 years later. Does that, does that, I mean, are you not blown away? Are you not blown away that the first mention in the Old Testament is answered by the first mention in the New Testament, and it points directly at Jesus Christ? Oh, man. He says, Father, where is the lamb? In verse 8, it says, uh, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. See, Abraham answers the question right there. He says, You know what? God's going to provide the offering. God will provide the sacrifice for the offering. In fact, the new king, uh, mine is New King James. 
In King James, it says, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. And doesn't he essentially do that very thing? He provides himself in the form of Jesus Christ, the lamb. Now, you can look in the Hebrew language, and it really doesn't imply that he's saying that. It really does say that he is going to give you, he'll provide you the lamb, which essentially he does by supplying them Jesus. It's just cool in the King James that that's how he says it, because essentially that's what he does. That's what he means to do, and that's what he does. He supplies them the lamb. So, it says that, uh, and so the two of them went together. And then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in the altar, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And so at some point, remember, God had said, I want you to go into the land of Moriah, and I'm going to show you the place where you are to offer up your son, your only son, whom you love, um, on an altar to me as a burnt offering. So they go in, and on the third day, it says he looked up and he saw the place. So God at some point had actually revealed to him the very place where he was actually supposed to build this altar. It was at the summit of Mount Moriah. Now, in case you just have disconnected the Old Testament from the New Testament and your Bible geography, let me tell you a couple of things. Mount Moriah is the actual mountain where David bought a threshing floor where Solomon built the temple on this spot. Okay. Now, many people believe that Solomon actually built the temple on the spot where, Jesus, where, where Isaac was um, going to be offered. But actually, it's a little bit north of this place. See, what happens is that Solomon came, and, and at this time, you would build an altar on the highest summit of the mountain that you were going to. And so instead of this place where the temple is built, if you go to the temple of Jerusalem and you look 300 yards north, you actually see the summit of Mount Moriah where I believe Isaac, uh, excuse me, Abraham built the altar on which he just laid the wood and his bound son Isaac on in order to offer him up as a sacrifice. Do you know that if you were to go there uh, 2,000 years later, do you know what place you'd be standing on? The very place where Jesus was crucified called Golgotha, the same point on which God had told Abraham that he was to offer up his son, the son of promise. 2,000 years later, our son of promise would walk that same path that Abraham and Isaac would walk with wood on his back, Isaac and Jesus, to come to the summit, to the place where God said, this is where the son of promise will be offered as a sacrifice. But it wasn't the day that Abraham was there. It was 2,000 years later, the day that we uh, have just celebrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on that same spot. Man. I came to that place. And uh, you should see that Isaac willingly allowed his father to tie him up and place him on that altar, willingly. Because at 33 years old, if he was like, nah, <laughs> let me find a dove or something here. There's got to be something else. <laughs> He's calling out. <laughs> He's calling, looking for... 
No, he willingly allowed himself to be bound, placed on the altar so that he could be sacrificed. Jeff Willig and I were looking at a, 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 a podcast from a, a, a Jewish rabbi, not even, not, not, not even referring to a, a messianic uh, script, uh, scripture, but a Jewish scripture that said that Isaac, this is recorded, that Isaac said, let me be bound and let me be bound tight so that when you plunge in the knife, I don't struggle, fall off the altar and break my leg because then I'm not able to be an acceptable sacrifice because my bones will be broken. Now that's not in the Bible. That's just Jewish traditional writing that they're writing about. But he went willingly. You see, Jesus himself would say, no man takes my life, but I lay it down willingly for the sake of others. One son of promise would lay down his life and it wouldn't be required of him. Ultimately, the final son of promise would lay down his life and not only would a people come from him, but we would all come back to him in the end. It says, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and he said, Abraham, Abraham. So Abraham said, here I am. And Isaac said, (laughs) I mean, you know, willing, but (laughs) he calls out and he says, do not lay a hand on, on the lad or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And so Abraham took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering instead of his son. Do you know what struck me when I read this like yesterday? God provided a ram, not a lamb in this situation because he had already, I believe, said, no, the lamb of God, that's my son who's going to come. But in order to fulfill what I've asked you to do, here's another substitute. Here's a ram that can be offered in your son's place. There are no, no details left out here. This is amazing. This is, now, this is 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Christ, that this story is being written, that it's being lined up. And, and verse 14, it says, And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And what in the mount of the Lord, what was provided? In that situation, a sacrifice was made and God said, now I know that you, uh, um, are, that you fear me, that you honor me, that you respect me. But ultimately what he said was on this very spot, on this same mountain, the second and final son of promise will come and I will not stay my hand from his uh, death but that it is necessary. And what did he provide? The the son is in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Salvation is what he provided. God provides. That's one of his names. The Lord God provides. And oftentimes we look at that and say, well, he provided manna, he provided clothing, he provided shelter. But ultimately what he did was he provided salvation. Ultimately, he provided salvation, and everything else there is just gravy after that. This is what 
we celebrate today. Salvation that came through the final son of promise, Easter. But we, as I said this morning, we, we, we celebrate this every day that God provided on that mountain 2,000 years ago salvation. And although he stayed the hand of Abraham, he did not stay his hand from sacrificing his own son, Jesus, who willingly died in your place and in my place so that the penalty of our sin is paid for today and we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. Jesus himself said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? No, he says that. Jesus says that in that passage. He says that if you believe in me, and receive me as your savior, you will live with me forever and eternity. Then he says, do you believe this? And that's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because it's just like any other gift. You have to believe it and you have to receive it. Sitting right there in your seat, you can ask God to forgive you of your sins you can ask him to come into your heart and change you, live, forgive you, and he will. And you can leave this place today a new creation. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father. God, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, salvation alone is more than enough, and yet you bless us daily. Thank you. How could I help but sing of your praise, Lord? Lord, forgive me, I'm so selfish so much of the time. Lord, forgive me. The little things that set us off. The person who's sitting in our chair this morning <laughs> when we came in. <laughs> forgive us, Lord. Lord, as we go out of this place today, I pray that we would take this, all of this, this reminder of who you are, what you did, the sacrifice that you made for us so that we might be with you forever in heaven. Let us never underestimate that. What a wonderful, incredible gift. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who's never received that gift, that, that today they heard these words and they said, I want to live with Christ forever in heaven. And I know that I'm a sinner. So Lord, forgive me. Come into my life today and be my savior. And Lord, while you're at it, pour out your Holy Spirit on me so that I actually have the power to live this life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your resurrection today on this beautiful day that you've given us, Lord. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Hey, did you know that when Jesus was on the cross and his life was ending, he didn't say, 
I am finished. He said, it is finished because he was just getting started. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.